Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Yeah, that's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Wow. You changed it up. This is episode 129, and you just said, yeah. Hey, I want to keep things fresh for our listening audience. So they go into a new episode thinking they're not listening to an old episode by accident. That's true. But wouldn't they identify that it's an old episode by the subject? Like, wow, I already heard them talk about Diablo. It was a fun episode. Right. Well, that's not this episode. But we promise this episode will be equally as fun. We're not promising that it'll be more fun. And we're not promising it'll be less fun. That's true. But we never really set the standard of how fun Diablo was. Ooh. So if Diablo was low fun, then we don't have a high bar to cross. Anyway, I'm going to hit the ball rolling today. Because you're going to tell me about what you've recently been playing? I'm going to tell you what I've been recently been playing. I've recently been playing the sequel to a game that I was recently playing three or four episodes ago. I don't remember, but I, I know what you're talking about, but yes. Yeah, so recently I was playing Far Lone Sails, where you have a little ship and you pilot it to the right of the screen. And you have to manage the ship and the little ship that's not really a ship because it's like a vehicle that drives on land. Yeah, it's like a weird tank yeah but you have to manage it i've been playing the sequel far changing tides which is actually a ship and you manage the ship and you float on water it's very similar to far own sails and is in fact so similar that i thought it was the game that i was most recently playing but it's changing tides is the one the best part about uh changing tides is that your ship starts off as like a boat and becomes a submarine that is exciting which is really cool and i'm a big fan of submarines and cross sections so like this is this is kind of my jam and it is a little overwhelming though because sometimes like you're sailing but you can become a submarine so you're not sure if you're like missing out on stuff that's on the ocean floor since you can't see the ocean floor if you're catamaraning around so that's been uh far changing tides uh, that's been what i've been playing recently the uh, developer is oko motive and uh lone sails came out in 2018 and far changing tide came out this year March 1st, 2022. And it's fun. Very pretty game. Both of them are very pretty game. They're both atmospheric. So if you like atmospheric games where there's not a lot of stress to them, then uh, I would check out Far Changing Tides or Far Lone Sails. All right, will do. What have uh, you been playing recently? Recently, I've been playing Divinity Original Sin 2, uh, which is the sequel to Divinity Original Sin. Uh, The first game came out in 2014. This game came out in 2017. And it's the prequel to Divine Divinity. Yes, which is a Diablo-like game that we talked about in our Diablo episode. Look at that. Full circle. Yeah, but this one's more RPG than... Yeah, Divinity Original Sin 2, which was developed by Larian, is a turn-based RPG game where you play with a party of people and you go on an epic quest. Uh, in this case, I was actually playing with my friends, as it is, you can play it cooperatively, and uh, we started off the game fresh where you start off on a ship your characters wake up they are implied to be prisoners uh, there is a murder you try to solve it and then the ship gets attacked and that is what happened so my character is a human battle mage who has a handlebar twisty mustache and uh, short black hair and I have named him Hercule Poirot and he is on a quest to solve all of the murders so having the first quest be a murder 
the moment you start this game was perfect for Poirot. So Detective Poirot went to work where he was going to examine this murder. And as I started to examine the body, one of my friends decided to also examine the body, which they apparently should not have done because they weren't not in conversation with the person who was talking to me about the dead body. And that friend engaged us all into combat where we then killed everyone who was examining the body. <laughs> well, those are pretty easy murders to investigate afterwards, right? Yes. I did at one point comment to one of my friends that my character, who, yes, is named Hercule Poirot, does not have to have the same morals as Hercule Poirot. And as long as the murder is solved, it doesn't matter who dies along the way. <laughs> and you could solve all the subsequent murders. That's right, which was pretty easy to solve the ones that I committed. That's right. I am having a good time playing the game. One of my favorite NPCs that I've encountered is the Red Prince, who is this like red lizard man who is very snooty and he will be like when you first meet him he's like ah are you able to cook are you able to sew uh do you like fine linen and if you answer yes to all those things he's like good you make a perfect servant yes (laughs) he's like you are now my servant did you um did you rescue the clam? I don't think so. You didn't throw him back into the water? One of my friends might have. I didn't do it personally. Pretty sure that clam shows up in every Larian game. We are now on the main, like the, on the first like area you go to right after the ship sinks. So you go to like an island. The fort? Yeah, there's a fort located on the island. So we're kind of exploring the fort and we are looking for the gloves of teleportation, which apparently are with a bunch of alligators. It's a bizarre game, <laughs> but uh, I'm enjoying it. It feels very serious when you play it but i think there's kind of a sense of humor that the game has that i wasn't expecting which i enjoy um where all of the characters i feel are just a little goofy like you encounter an npc at one point who is making a choking motion where it looks like they are choking and you go up to them and you're like do you need help and they're like no i don't need help leave me alone and then they're like i can't breathe and they walk away <laughs> and it's like just everyone on this island is just a little goofy <laughs> so yeah but I'm, I'm enjoying it. Again, we haven't gotten super far. We're in that first section at the, the fort after you get out of the, the boat. But um, we are looking forward to playing again sometime soon. I made my uh, my friend very jealous when we were playing this game together because I played a summoner. And uh, summoners are a little broken in that game. That's fun. I almost played as a dwarf skeleton battle mage. And then my friend said... You can play as an undead character, but be warned, you can only be healed by poisons, and you have to wear a head covering or else you will aggro all the NPCs. And I said, for my first time playing Divinity Original Sin, that does not sound like a fun time. So I opted to play as a human. It's a fun, it's a fun couple of games. Larian's done a good job with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm impressed by the game. I think it's it's pretty fun. I'm having a good time. I like the character creator. I thought it was not super robust, but it offered some fun variations to the characters you could make and i think it's fun that your characters in your party will like talk to each other and you can like have them take on different personality traits right now we're all just a bunch of murderers because we yeah. killed a bunch of we killed a bunch of like of these bug creatures and the the void somethings they're like they look like little uh pill bugs so we killed a bunch of them and then our characters were all talking about it 
and they all had options to be like, oh, I don't want to kill anything, even if it's evil. And we all chose the options that are like, these creatures deserve to die. <laughs> so we're just a bunch of aggressive guys right now. Maybe once I get through my uh, my stealth-based tactics games phase, uh, I'll go back and start playing some role-playing games such as Divinity Original Sin 2. And Baldur's Gate 3 is supposed to be coming out next year. Yes. Yeah, it's already in early access, isn't it? It's been in early access for since I went to PAX before. Or COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, today's not a Baldur's Gate episode, no. but it is a role-playing game-based episode. Kind of, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, action role-playing. Action role-playing. An yeah. action role-playing game is still a role-playing game. Be like if D&D just had no rules, besides leveling up. Like if there was like real-time combat in D&D, that'd be so uh, chaotic. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about Fable. And Zach, do you have any memories of Fable? Or the, the sequels? Yeah, I don't remember which one it was, but there was a period of time where there was a channel on TV called G4. It is coming back. Um, I think they do a Twitch stream and they're on select cable television providers. But G4 was the quote unquote TV for gamers. And this was a channel that would air TV shows like Cheat, which would go through different cheat codes. Um, there was X-Play, which was primarily a review show. There was also Attack of the Show, which was kind of like a variety show where they would do some reviews. They would talk about some tech news. They would also do some skits. And they had a couple other programs that were kind of scattered in. And then G4 took a weird turn where they started showing only Star Trek, but they only showed a version of Star Trek where it was like picture in picture, where it was kind of Star Trek very small. And it would have like info about the episode surrounding it, which was not an ideal way to watch Star Trek. It was like if you wanted commentary for your show that primarily consists of commentary. Yes. And then they stopped showing that. And then they started showing a lot of cops and another show called <laughs> Cheaters, which had nothing to do with video game cheats and had to do with people who were committing infidelity. It, it took a turn. Anyway, in the good days of G4 prior to that, I watched a lot of the show x-play um i really liked game reviews and this was like before youtube yeah. so there weren't really other ways to watch game reviews i remember um they did morrowind on like yeah uh... yeah and they did a review of one of the Fable games. I think it was Fable 2 or Fable 3. And I remember them not being super favorable to it. I think they said they liked a lot of parts of the game, but other parts of the game they were having trouble getting into. So I think it was ultimately like a meh review. But I just remember watching that episode. Like every time I see clips or images of Fable, I immediately associate it with watching X-Play. And I think Cheat did an episode with Fable 2, but they talked about secrets in the game. Not necessarily cheats, but different right. like Easter eggs and stuff so my memories of fable aren't playing fable it's watching other people talk about fable right not even watching other people play fable watching like tech demos and people commenting yeah, on yeah. fable watching like pretty high production quality Ooh, the news people <laughs> yeah but uh those are my memories at least of fable i actually played fable when it came out on the uh, original xbox hardware my friend david who i lived with in college owned an xbox and he owned fable uh, i did not play it when it came out but i probably played it in like 06 or 07 okay and i played it uh i played it through i enjoyed the game i, I probably enjoyed the game because i wasn't hyped about the game and i really mm, didn't that's fair you know like i had no expectations for what i was going in with i didn't own an xbox so i didn't really follow xbox news i i knew the game was coming out i knew there was uh it was going to be a cool game and then i ended up playing it a little bit after its release and i enjoyed it and i uh i 
would go on and I, I, I'm pretty sure I played through two and three, though it has been 10 years since I probably picked up a Fable game. So maybe it's a, well, maybe it's those games that maybe I can go back and play again. It's kind of, I guess, my, my theme. But I, I do remember uh, Fable and I do I do remember uh, enjoying Fable. Nice. Now, I mentioned uh, the game being overhyped and we'll talk a little bit about that. But the, the creator, uh, Peter Molyneux, uh, was quoted as Fable is the best game ever. And Fable would would come out in 2004 and was uh, created and designed by uh, ultimately Peter Molyneux. And we've discussed Peter Molyneux in our British Invasion series. Uh-huh. And he was the co-founder of Bullfrog Productions, which did games like Dungeon Keeper. And he ended up leaving Bullfrog Productions. So actually, he actually ended up leaving Electronic Arts because he was at Bullfrog Productions and Electronic Arts bought Bullfrog Productions. During the acquisition, he essentially got himself a vice presidentship of Electronic Arts and then realized he was really bored at being a vice president of Electronic Arts. And he kind of wanted to get back into the game design world and uh, ended up quitting Electronic Arts pretty dramatically, as in he got drunk one night and sent an email and said, I quit and had to stick to his drunken desire to uh, quit Electronic Arts. So he did leave Electronic Arts and formed a company called Lionhead Studio. Lionhead Studio originally didn't develop Fable. And part of the reason that it didn't develop Fable was because Peter Molyneux was not allowed to take Bullfrog employees because he left pretty abruptly. In fact, he left during the end of Dungeon Keeper. And we'll do an episode on Dungeon Keeper where we'll talk more about early Peter Molyneux because he is he is a fascinating character. Yeah. But since we always like to do things sequels first we'll we'll talk about Lionhead peter molyneux and uh we'll go we'll go back and cover him in his earlier periods and times later on and we also did talk a little bit about him in our british invasion episode which is pretty early in the series i think in our 30s 35 i think it's pretty early back but i think we did talk about peter molyneux and the fact that he's a little eccentric he has a very particular style of game where if you look at like all of the games that he's been involved in be it fable dungeon keeper black and white you just know it's a peter molyneux game that's just what it feels like especially black and white be that as it may peter molyneux left electronic arts and was not allowed by electronic arts to hire employees from them essentially they said no peter molyneux you can't just take all of your employees that you hired and bring them over to lionhead now people at bullfrog which was you know owned by electronic arts you know saw peter molyneux leave and they kind of were like you know what let's just do our own thing so some of the main designers at bullfrog productions ended up leaving and striking out on their own not directly related to peter molyneux and not going to work for peter molyneux but going to work in their own company that would somehow end up working for Peter Molyneux down the road. So there was a company called Big Blue Box, which was founded by two ex-employees from Bullfrog, um, actually two brothers, uh, Simon and Denny Carter, and uh, a guy by the name of Ian Lovett. Now, Simon and Denny uh, were the programmers and designers, while Ian served as the, uh, the creative artist. Now, these guys worked on Dungeon Keeper 
Harper and Magic Carpet while they were at Bullfrog and were still very, very close with Peter Molyneux. They couldn't legally work with Peter Molyneux again. However, they were so close with Peter Molyneux that Peter Molyneux offered them office space within his mansion. Because you see, Peter Molyneux is rich and he's primarily rich from Populous. Even at this time was a very successful game designer. Now, Big Blue Box was then incorporated into Winehead's satellite program, which was a program that was kind of cool that Peter created to help independent studios get a leg up. Essentially, Lionhead, as the larger development company, would operate as the marketing, administration, and business departments for the smaller development companies and would let the developers really concentrate on developing games. In addition to that, the developers would have access to Peter Molyneux and the other co-founder of Lionhead, Steve Jackson. Mm. Not the American Steve Jackson, the British Steve Jackson. So, But this is the same Steve Jackson we also talk about in the British Invasion episode who helped co-founded Games Workshop. Yes, and we also made the clarification that it was the British Steve Jackson, not the United States Steve Jackson. So it's kind of cool that this satellite program, you could work with co-founders of Lionhead who were big in both of their respective their, their respective uh, kind of domains. And they were really still really renowned people in the, the industry. And uh, and they got there really quick too. Peter Molyneux became pretty much renowned and a VP of Electronic Arts in seven years from when he had gone from zero experience. Now, the satellite program, they would also help the developers along in, in production with uh, refining of the game's design, testing, and QAing the game as it moves along. However, would not act as publishers. So Big Blue Box would still need to find a publisher for the project. With all that squared away, Big Blue Box went forward with their first project, Wish World. Wish World would have been a magical dueling game where using your magic you would change the game world so as a powerful magician you would battle other magicians in these forests and volcanoes would start to erupt as you fight for some level of dominance the game would also have relied on multiplayer according to the game designer uh Dene carter the player would create a character that would have a magic specialty and would be sp- and would be spawned in this void. The player would build their own environment around them, like rivers and forests and mountains, and they would also be able to summon creatures to help them along with their tasks. However, somewhere else in the game world, there would be another magician who was doing the exact same thing. So you would be at odds with each other and have to use environmental effects to counter them. So, for example, they could be creating a volcano and you would have to use water things to fight them so you might create a lake now big blue box would go on to rename wish world a few times um mostly to try to appease the, uh, publishers so they changed the name to god slayer and at one point they just called it heroes during this time activision agreed to publish for them but they ultimately fell through as activision is known <laughs> to do <laughs> peter molyneux came up with a, a new name for the game which was going to be merlin uh and the game would focus around one particular wizard's journey instead of multiplayer the development team started thinking about a changing character evolving over choices now peter signed off on that because he already pretty much did which was black and white where you played as a a godlike character and it changed over time because of choices 
if you think about it now, you've gone from a multiplayer dueling mage game to a single mage's story who can evolve and create and summon monsters and create the you're looking at like black and white two or three you know at this point in time is really what this game is evolving to the studio uh would go on to hire um, martin bell and casper dogard who took the ideas of evolving character in the in the world in an evolving world and created a game engine that they could actually change the details of the character down to like the wrinkles and the hair and even like tattoos and for the time that this was being worked on it was really a uh, pretty cutting edge the game engine would also allow the world to be shaped as well as uh, the character. So like the force could change and even like the grass had different changes you could have like grass die or whatever so as the character changed the world would change as well by the time the game got to this iteration it wasn't wish world anymore the only thing that was really kept from wish world would be the art style and the ability to use the will attribute to power abilities which was within wish world um, and would stay on the the will attribute would stay on all the way through Fable's production. By the time Fable comes out, that will attribute stays along with it. And the uh, the system now, since it focused on changes and it's kind of focusing on a, a singular character, you have to what you have to look at that change and what would drive that change: morality, and what would drive making those intersections and choices: quests. So you would have quests to question the morality, and the morality would change it. So you'd have like a light side or a good side good or evil. So the focus started to be focusing on questing and the story. And when you focus on questing and the story and the choices and having those branching stories and changes, you don't have time to really do multiplayer. So they renamed the project again, and this time they called it Project Ego. During this time, Microsoft was interested in publishing it, and Microsoft would be working with them to publish it onto the Sega Dreamcast because Microsoft and Sega had a business partnership. So any games that Microsoft would publish, they would go to the Sega Dreamcast until the Dreamcast actually launched. And, well, the Dreamcast ended up being a commercial failure. And Microsoft said, you know what? Maybe not. So they, they went back to the Project Ego team, which they were really excited. They loved Project Ego. So they went back to Project Ego and said, hey, listen, you're not going to do this for the Dreamcast anymore. Instead, you're going to work on making this an exclusive game for our brand new system that we're launching, the Xbox. A fun fact about the Xbox, apparently when it was in development, there was a part of its development where Sega came to Microsoft and said, hey, uh, wouldn't it be cool if the Xbox could natively play Dreamcast games? And Microsoft said no. Now, full tilt development of Project Ego went underway, with approximately 70 developers taking part in creating the game. The main theme being that the hero and the world should visually reflect the choices made in the game. During development of the game, other Lion had satellites started to fold and Microsoft had very vested interest in Project Ego. So the decision came down from Peter that Big Blue Box would merge into Lionhead, though Big Blue Box was always bedfellows with Lionhead. And the original members of Big Blue Box who were still around stayed in senior positions within the newly structured company. The project would get its final name, Fable, and Peter Molyneux would go on to hype Fable, touting it would be, quote, it's going to be the best game ever. There was a bit of scope creep with Peter where he would promise the game would do more and 
more, but after four years, Fable launched on September 14th, 2004, and wouldn't have everything that Peter said would be there. But would that be enough? Now, before we get into the numbers and such, I do want to talk a bit about Peter's comments, because Peter would often have some very interesting things to say about Fable, to the point where, not to not to make any assumptions about Peter Molyneux, but part of me wonders if he knew what his developers were doing with the game. <laughs> there was a, like an interview somewhere where he claimed, in Fable, you could plant an acorn, and later you could come back in the game as time has passed, and that acorn would have grown into a tree. You cannot do that in the final product of a Fable. You were supposed to have children in the original Fable, according to Peter Molyneux. Uh, that was cut. Persistent damage, right? Like if you get... Persi- yeah, if you got cut, you would have the cut forever, and that was cut. You were supposed to be able to play as a, a girl, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that was also cut. Peter overly promised things. Like Peter became the spokesperson for the company, so they wouldn't have like a marketing guy. They would have Peter Molyneux, who would like be put in front of cameras and just talk. And Peter's the kind of guy that I'm, I'm sure Peter is a very very nice man. From what I understand, he's apparently a really nice guy. And that's probably part of the problem because Peter will talk to anybody and he'll go on and tell you stories. But if you put him in front of the press, then he's going to tell the press stories and that could get everyone into a little bit of trouble. However, what they released on September 14th, 2004 may not have been the thing that Peter Molyneux promised. It would be, however, a pretty good game. Fable would go on to be a uh, commercial success upon release and is still fairly well praised. Peter would, however, uh, have to go out and have to apologize for features that didn't make it into the original Fable game, like having children. Uh, However, as Fable 2 and 3 would get released, many of the promised features that he promised originally in Fable 1 would show up in those later games where you'd be able to have kids. And he did, though, publicly apologize and said, I'm sorry if I ever misspoke about things that were in the game that never became in the game. Within the first week of launch, the game would sell 375,000 copies. uh, And within the first month, it would hit 600,000 copies. And by March of 2005, it would have hit 1.4 million copies. Um, By July, the Xbox version had sold 1.5 million copies and earned $58 million in the U.S. market. And all in all, the game sold about 3 million copies worldwide, which is it's pretty good. Uh, and for somebody who wasn't hyped up for the game, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I really enjoyed Fable as a game. I think it's a it's a very good game. I don't know if it has held up. Um, I haven't played it in a long time, uh, so it's held up in my memories. And Zach, how does uh, Fable... Um, How does it play? Yeah, so as we mentioned, it's an action role-playing game, and it's played from a third-person perspective. In the game, you play as a character who's just called the Hero of Oakvale. Uh, Oakvale being a location in the land of Albion, which is kind of like a fantasy England. Throughout the game, you can interact with various people and enemies to complete the missions that you encounter. The game's quests are obtained through a central location called the Hero's Guild. These quests often have a variety of different ways to complete them, uh, such as the ability to aid evil characters or help good characters. So you are provided some choices in the in terms of how you play the game. Now the story of the game itself begins when a young boy, who is the hero, has his village raided by bandits. The bandits kill the boy's father and abduct his mother and his sister. An older hero named Maze rescues the boy and trains him to become a hero himself. Years passed and our hero is told to meet a blind Cirrus, you know, someone who can see the future, who lives among a camp of bandits. So you infiltrate the camp 
and you learn that the Cirrus is actually your sister, who has been taken in by someone called Twinblade. Twinblade being a former hero in the current Bandit King. I believe at this time you're actually given the opportunity to either like kill all the bandits or just like leave them alone and you can save your sister. And the story goes on from there. You encounter various other characters, both good and bad, and ultimately you are trying to stop someone called Jack of Blades, who um, was the person who attacked your village all those years ago and is responsible for the death of your father. And the way you go about stopping him is really, in terms of the game, up to you. It might not be as an expansive of a game as maybe future like open world role-playing games, but it is still a pretty expansive game in the terms of the choices that you can make. That's actually a really good point to make that Fable was probably one of the first games to have a morality system. They developed the morality system that then was implemented in Knights of the Old Republic, Mass Effect. Like these games wouldn't have something to base it on if they didn't have Fable. Like, I mean, I guess you can make a, you can always make a Star Wars game with light side, dark side, but the Star Wars games that were around this time didn't have that option. You always played the good guys where you had Fable showed a morality system and showed that people would go both ways good and evil and uh, had that as a mechanic that then would get implemented into hundreds of games so we can thank fable for the morality system with fable's success sequels of course would come the first sequel fable 2 released in 2008 it was received fairly positively by critics and players a second sequel fable 3 was released in 2010 and it was also fairly well received. The one review did call it a, a royal disappointment. There were various amount of spinoffs such as Fable 2 Pub Games, Fable Heroes, Fable The Journey, and Fable Coin Golf. Because nothing says golf game like Fable. In, in defense of Fable Coin Golf, it is available on flip phones. So... <laughs> Uh, an anniversary remake of the first game, Fable Anniversary, was released in 2013. It did not do so well, with most of the people saying that the game was somehow buggier than the first. <laughs> and in 2018, rumors surfaced that Fable 4 was in development. Uh, during the Xbox Game Showcase in July of 2020, it was revealed that a new Fable was in development and will run on the Forza game engine. And no details have been released. Uh, I did watch a trailer. I thought it was just like, wasn't it just like a leaf blowing in like a valley? or something i think it's like a leaf blowing in a valley and then it fades out and then it just says like fable and that's it it's still a beloved property for sure and uh, it's definitely due for a um a reimagination not a remaster but a reimagination yeah i'm all in favor of games being reworked with different studios and their vision for them so i think one of the like the best examples is the tomb raider reboots they are like taking that original idea of tomb raider and just completely reimagining it for like a more modern audience right for sure I, I, it won't be Peter Molyneux. Uh, he's making a another God game called Goddess. Peter Molyneux loves God games, as evident by Populous Dungeon Keeper, Black and White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even what Fable could have been. Well, that's Fable. That's going to be our Fable section there. Um, hopefully you all learned something. And don't worry, we'll be talking more about Peter Molyneux in the future. Yeah, because we need to talk about Dungeon Keeper. And maybe one day, maybe one day, we'll have Peter Molyneux on our show peter molyneux if you want to come on the classic gaming brothers podcast you'll have to email us at classic gaming brothers at gmail.com but we can't start that yet because we have to get into the byway pass that's right now seth i'm gonna go first because you went first no. for the recently right. played your game seth 
is a upcoming real-time strategy game. This is a game set in a universe previously visited uh, via the movies. Um, there was a film series based in this universe. There was also a few games based in this universe. Um, this universe, this this game in these movies were about a conflict between one group of people and another group of people. Though that conflict isn't always what it seems, and there is implications that there could be like political drama going on. In any case, this is a game set in this universe um, where you take control of a mobile infantry and you do your part in the war against the arachnid threat are you interested the arachnid threat yes because this is starship troopers terran command this game is due out june 16th being developed by the aristocrats and published by slytherine limited all right we're gonna take a short break while i look this game up All right, and we're back. As Zach described, it's a uh, an RTS set in the Starship Troopers universe. Uh, I'm actually a, a fan of Starship Troopers. I, I enjoy the movie. I think it's fun. I that's actually my favorite. So I like like Alien, Starship Troopers. Like that's my favorite kind of like aliens type movies versus like Alien. Yeah, I actually I think I'm gonna buy this game. I'm 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 excited about. I uh, I like RTS games and I like Starship Troopers. Uh, and it's gonna it's gonna MSRP at around twenty nine ninety nine, which oh, is a pretty bad. reasonable price for a video game. Yeah, and I, I it'll probably be cheaper. It'll probably be like ten percent off when it comes out. All right, Zach, are you ready for your byway pass? I am ready for my byway pass, Seth. Uh, this is gonna be a turn based strategy adventure game. Nice. Where that has a little RPG element and tactical combat and kingdom management. Do you think you can handle all of these things? Yeah, I Be think so. Be able to raise your armies and wield ancient magic and conquer lands to build an empire. Yeah, that sounds fun to me. It's the game Songs of Conquest, which just came out May 10th of 2022. It was developed by Lava Potion and published by Coffee Stain Publishing. And it's actually in early access. So it's not out, out, it's early access out. Well, we're going to take a brief pause as I look up this game and uh, make my decision. And we're back. So uh, Songs of Conquest, as Seth described, is a uh, turn-based strategy adventure game. It reportedly fuses RPG, tactical combat, and kingdom management all into one game, which are all three things that... um, could very much be fun at least in their separate chunks this game uh looks pretty interesting from what i'm seeing in the the photos so it kind of reminds me of a bit of some of the like 90s turn-based games that were available on uh super nintendo and nes i mean it kind of gives me like a shining force vibe with the at least the way the combat structure is based it also has kind of a uh maybe like majesty with the the kingdom uh, management so it's got some things that i think are fun how it executes those i think is a different question personally i think i'm gonna put it down as a wait for now um just because games like this i have to really be in a mood for i i like strategy games but i also am more of a fan of real-time strategy as opposed to turn-based i think there's something where it's just like the flow of a real-time strategy game i find so much more engaging than a turn-based strategy game mostly because i don't like waiting my turn uh i will certainly keep it in mind so i'm gonna put it down as a wait um 
I'll wish list it and maybe keep it in the back of my mind. I think if I'm in the mood for a game like this, I'll pick it up. Nice. So that will do it. So Peter Molyneux, as we mentioned earlier, if you want to contact us, you can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us at classicgamingbrothers.com. You can fill out our contact form if you'd like. You can certainly like and follow us on all the various social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch. Our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch are Classic Gaming Brothers. You can also uh, check us out in all the various podcasting applications out there. You can like us, subscribe, rate us, do all those things. Make sure to leave us a review if you really enjoyed the podcast. And of course, you can always uh, reach out to us just to let us know what you think. Seth, am I forgetting anything? Wait, was that specifically just for Peter Molyneux? <laughs> yes, it was. Am I forgetting anything? No, I'm just I'm just wondering. Maybe we should always address our, our end to Peter Molyneux. <laughs> anyway, did you forget anything? Let me think. Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the classic gaming brothers. That's, That's right. right.